Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. What's up on a Monday? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Colin Brister. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Monday, September 23rd edition of the Rebel Report, the intro list podcast of the people. Um... I'm not going to beat around the bush. We were literally getting started today. I had uh, I was driving back up from the Sanderson Farms this morning. I had to do a, a radio hit on the political show. Our schedule's crisscross. It might work out better anyway because we've got new information regarding the quarterback stuff. But a ton to get to today. Obviously, a lot to talk about. Ole Miss Cal, big picture, small picture, college football, NFL stuff. Buckle up. I've got a 16-ounce Red Bull right next to me. What's up? So, wait, you had to go to Jackson on Thursday and Friday, then come back on Saturday and go back on Sunday? Well, yeah, but yesterday was for fun. Like, yesterday, my dad had extra tickets. I went down there with uh, MC and I, and just, like, we kind of, like, actually watched the tournament. Uh, We'll get to that in a second. A guy named Sebastian Munoz won. It was a very thrilling uh, finish. So, my guy, Sung JM, who I played with in the Web.com Tour Pro-Am up here, when he finished, he had a one-shot lead, but Munoz birdied 18 to tie him, and then they went to a playoff, and Sungjae bogeyed the first playoff hole. So he's going to have to settle for a $750,000 check as opposed to $1.2 million. Anyway, let's just get right into it. Ole Miss loses 28-20 to Cal. Crazy game, crazy ending. A lot of thoughts on this. I don't really know where to start. Um, let's start with the obvious. Ole Miss didn't play very well. I thought the I thought it was because the refs cheated him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, I'm just, hey, here's my thing with the refs. Did Elijah Moore score? I lean honestly. No, I, I don't think he did. Should it have been reviewed? Yes. Should Ole Miss have played better? Yes. Does Ole Miss score the two point conversion and then win in overtime? Man, that's a lot of ass. So. The, the, the people with the ref conspiracy thing, I'm, I'm not real big on that right now. Well, it's just a short term. I wrote this I wrote this in my post-game story column, whatever you want to call it. I don't really write game stories anymore, but I wrote exactly about this. I wrote, it's really just a short-term diversion from what really happened. I say from what really happened. From the fact that Cal exposed some familiar issues and some issues that Ole Miss may or may not have the answer to is really what happened here. I mean, to be completely honest, like uh, somewhat inside baseball here, until that Plumlee thing happened, I was going to write that essentially the the electing to kick a field goal down 15 points with nine minutes left as the Boo Birds rang down in a half-field stadium is just kind of a microcosm of exactly where their picturesque picture, whatever you want to call it, of where the football program is right now. Let's just keep this real. Uh, Matt Luke had a really bad day on Saturday. The the field goal call was... um, And and I get where he's coming from, that he thought he was going to have two possessions left. But man, your kicker's not very good right now. And to just think that that's an automatic three points is kind of misleading to me. Well, of course it wasn't an automatic three points. He missed it. That's what I'm saying. Like, he makes the decision just thinking that he's going to get three points on the board. With man, frankly, right now I, I wouldn't trust Luke Logan. Um, secondly, when Ole Miss is calling timeouts at the end of the game, he let twenty seconds run off before he calls one timeout. You think those twenty seconds wound up mattering? 
Well, um, and at some point they wasted one time out on like a punt cover, right? They screwed up some kind of punt thing or something earlier where they they only had two timeouts left instead of three. They burned an early timeout in the second half. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it just was unorganized from every from every facet of the game. Really, it look we can sit here and talk about the refs. Did they probably screw up at the end? Yeah, I think they did. The play should have been reviewed at the very least, and the ball was not at the one yard line where they put it. The ball should have been closer to the half or quarter yard line. That being said, man, Ole Miss didn't deserve to win that football game. Like, like how do you look at that game and think, yeah, Ole Miss should have won? No, I mean, Cal was a better team. It just kind of is what it is. Well, I don't think anyone rational believes Ole Miss should have won the game or it remotely deserved to win, if, if I may. I get what you're saying, but, like, I, I think most people understand that. So... I'll just get into just a random jumble of thoughts I had. I thought Matt Corral had a really good first half. I know people didn't necessarily see that because I I think the first half, the lasting memory of the first half, were the two throws he missed to where they scored only a field goal instead of a touchdown on the Prince pick where they got the short field and couldn't score. He missed one throw. One throw he put it in a decent spot to where only his guy could catch it. I don't remember if it was Elijah Moore or who it was. It was Moore. On the third down in the end zone. That's not necessarily as bad to where he threw it across the middle at whoever's feet that was on second or first that down. That was more. Uh, Pellerin dropped the pass in the end zone. No, 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 no. Pellerin dropped one in the third quarter. Luke, like, this one, I'm, this sequence, he threw it to the right corner of the end zone, and it was kind of wide. Like, they didn't really have okay, much of a yeah, shot. Okay, my bad, my bad. But I, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. My point being is that the second one, I'm fine with. Like, he just put it in a spot where only the receiver could catch it. It couldn't get picked off and just missed it a little bit. The one where he throws it at the guy's feet, and I think that was more as well. Just that that's not great. My point being, 16 of 23 for 168 yards and no turnovers will hunt, particularly in this offense. And so I thought he had a good half. I thought he had a very bad third quarter and that's really where this game kind of unraveled for Ole Miss, if we're being completely honest, because at halftime, they're down 14-13. They had 230-something yards of offense. I think they moved the ball really well. They outgained Cal. They just weren't finishing off drives in the red zone, but they're right there in it. I'm thinking they probably might actually win this game. Like I, I was sitting there thinking, at halftime, gun to my head, who wins this? I was actually kind of thinking Ole Miss. I know they had made Chase Garbers look like Johnny Manziel, but... Aside from that, I was like, they're playing pretty well. If you'd have told me to bet on a team at halftime or I had to pick a team of my life depending on it at halftime, at halftime, I think I might would have gone Ole Miss. Then the third quarter happens, and it was just very bad. Ole Miss, I don't believe, got a first. I don't, Richard pointed out after the game, I don't, did they get a first down in the third quarter? Nope. They didn't get a first down in the last two drives, I don't believe. Yeah, so very bad third quarter. And then, of course, you get a couple, you, you, you sputter a couple times offensively. And then Cal takes advantage. I say Cal takes advantage. The Ole Miss secondary was exposed for kind of what they are, I would say, on Saturday. I mean, Chase Garbers, let's call a spade a spade here. He was 9 of 22 for 130-something yards in the last week's win over over North Texas. And with respect to the mighty mean green, he, he threw for 300. He set three career highs. Yeah, it's not good. Touchdowns, it's, it's, completions, and I believe yardage. Yeah, he may have set a fourth. He, he yeah, just it, to his credit, I'll give him credit because I think two things can be true at once. He made four or five throws where I was like, "Well, that was really good." Where did that come from? But then there were other times. Of course, dude's wide open. He's escaping the little pressure they got in the inconsistent. You know, the few times mixed in where they did get pressure to him. The Ole Miss secondary had a very bad day. Yes, yes, they were very bad. The defensive line didn't help matters at all. 
I thought the linebackers actually played pretty well. Um, but outside of that, the defense struggled all day. You can't get pressure. You can't guard. I mean, it, it's the recipes for disaster. Frankly, I'm, I'm a little shocked Cal didn't score more than they did. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss felt fortunate to be where they were at the end of the game. It was kind of like, how are they driving with the chance to tie the game? And I, I'm trying to think how to word this. Like, I mean, this. I, I don't under. What I guess what I don't necessarily understand is the secondary has a couple. They're young in some spots, but they've got a couple guys that have played a lot of football. And like, you can talk about their skill set and what they are as players all you want, but at a certain point, like. They've played a decent bit of football. I don't think they should. I don't think they should be this this bad. No, I, I completely agree. Um, secondary is, is has experience. Uh, you got Jalen Jones back there. Keydron Smith played a lot last year, and he had a very bad game. Um, just, just man, it, it, it doesn't look good when you're when your when Cal comes in and kind of lights you up because man, Cal ain't Alabama. They're not LSU. Uh, I mean, Watch what was, Alabama's receivers do to them this week. Oh God, um, I don't even think they're like A and M's not great at quarterback, but I think Mon's probably better than Bowers. I mean, it man, it, it just kind of feels like anybody that can throw the football with consistency against Ole Miss probably just not going to win that football game. And it's interesting because Garbers came in at, at very perceived as a very limited game manager i know that's such a cliche term but it's kind of the truth and then i was even i was texting antonio who is very much more familiar with the pac-12 than i am obviously he covers usc he's from out there he understands it the a lot of people were shocked that garbers is a major like power five starter and the kid behind him is apparently immensely more immensely more talented yeah but i think Ole Miss just gave him a year's worth of job security <laughs> i mean i mean yeah. am i wrong no, the, the kid looked like, I mean, he looked like Johnny United out there. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what you do with your own miss. You can't really cover. Uh, you can't get pressure on three backup offensive linemen from Cal. Like, I, I mean, and I'm not trying to call out kids here, but it, it just, it wasn't an effort issue. They're just not good enough right now on that side of the football well, to make the plays they need to. It's a two-way street. We were talking about this up in the press box on Saturday. I don't think Mac trusts his his group is secondary to cover, and so when you trust when you don't trust your group to cover, obviously you're going to think more twice, maybe more than twice. You get what I'm saying? Hesitate to blitz, and so when you can't get consistent pressure with three and four guys, like and you can't cover. I mean, I think Nick Suss described it as a snake eating its own tail. Like what? You just kind of up shit creek without a paddle, for a lack of a better phrase. Yep. I, I from mean, a, I from I, a play calling standpoint, yeah, I mean, there's not an answer. Like, you can't really disguise no pressure and no coverage. Like, I don't. There's not really a defense that look. You can somewhat disguise a bad offensive line at times on defense if you're not getting those things consistently. I guess what are you hoping for that they drop the football? Otherwise, there's not much there. Right. They they fared better against the run again. I think out of the 400 and yeah. something yards of offense, Cal had only 60 came on the ground. You know, 377 of what or whatever the final number was. I can't get it to pull up right now in front of me. But only 60 yards on the ground. The rest of it was all over the air. That's really where Ole Miss lost this game. Is it had a very bad third quarter offense? If we give or take a drive, like talking about maybe it leaked in the fourth quarter a little bit, and they got exposed in the passing game. That is pretty much how this what this game came down to. Yeah, 
I mean, it's, it's really that simple. And then, they couldn't cover. They couldn't get pressure. They couldn't drop the football. Uh, Rich Rod forgot Jerry on Ailey existed in the fourth quarter. Um, it just kind of is what it is. I didn't think they did a particularly good offensive game plan after halftime. Um, you know, it, look, Ole Miss lost this game by eight points, but it, it didn't feel that close to me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, it, it 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 definitely didn't feel as close as the the final result indicated. But at the same time, Ole Miss had a lot of chances to to. They yep. left a lot of points out there, and they had a lot of chances to win the game, get close to winning the game. Like they didn't lose it because of what happened at the end of the game. Of course, there were plenty of other opportunities for them to kind of take control of that game or at least go to, get ahead. Like it wouldn't have shocked me the way Ole Miss. 525 yards of offense is good enough to win the game. 348 passing, 177 on the ground, both good enough to win the game. But Matt Corral was so in the second half, he was six of 17 for 98 yards. I just did that math off the top of my head. That is good. Uh, Just looking at it, that's so tough. Third quarter. I didn't see where he actually got hurt on. So we were walking down to the field. As we got down there, we saw Plumlee was in the game. I don't know if he took a shot right before that or if it's I, something that had been bothering him. I couldn't see, and they didn't seem to know after the game when it happened. I heard, and I don't know how true this is, I heard he got hit right before halftime <clears throat> and then re-aggravated it in the fourth quarter is what, what somebody told me. Um Maybe so. I don't know how you re-aggravate bruised ribs, though. I mean, if you like, he told Rich Rod after the game he was having trouble breathing. Obviously, that insinuates bruised, cracked ribs. Maybe the official diagnosis is bruised ribs. We just got that at the Monday press conference today. But I mean, that seems like something that's tough. One, tough to play through. But two, like once it happens, it happens. Yeah, I I don't know. I just heard he took a shot right before halftime, and then took another one right in the fourth quarter and wasn't able to go. So at that Um, point, I, I would argue this is when the game gets weird. Because Plumlee yeah. comes in, breaks down, breaks the long run. The loudest that stadium got that day from the people that were there, the crowd erupted when he breaks the long run and upon his entry into the game. It's funny, too, because Rich Rod, didn't he say that he put him in because they made the decision to go with him because of the play call? Because we had all heard on, on camp that Tisdale was a backup quarterback. Yes. So... That was a six-play drive, I think. Wait. No, no, 10-play, 88-yard drive. And John Rice Plumley came in for the last two. So Corral was in there for eight plays. Plumley breaks the 47-yard run, and then Ely scores from 15 yards out on his only touch of the second half. But people went erupt. Like, people <laughs> – like, yeah, he broke the long run, but I think people were happy just to see something different. <laughs> Yeah, non-stagnant offense. I mean, that was the sense that I got, at least. And so, that's when the game really begins to get weird, because Ole Miss makes it 28-20, their defense gets a stop. It looked like Cal considered the idea of going for it on fourth down, which would have been like Kirby Smart-esque. Hugh (laughs) Freeze, Arkansas, 2015-esque. And then they punt it away, and to his credit, Plumlee comes back, goes 7-for-7 on the final drive. And yeah. marches them 80 yards. The problem was they needed 90. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 89 yep. yards. Yeah, they had to win 89 yards, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he the kid played extremely well. Uh, I look, you know, I know obviously I'm going to get this in a minute. 
They mentioned that he would probably play some at Alabama, even if Corral was healthy. I don't know. It's an interesting dynamic going forward uh, because, like you, like we said, he, he played extremely well. He's extremely athletic. He gave this offense a boost after it was stagnant for almost a half of football. So what does Ole Miss have to lose at this point by letting the kid get into some game action and see what happens? Yeah, that's true. But hold that thought for a second because we'll just get the final drive. So they go 89 yards. He hits DeMarcus Gregory on the long pass down the sideline. I think that was, what, 50-ish yards? Sure. 41. And then you get a Phillips rush for nothing. Plumley rushes for six, which was a design pass. He rolls out to the right side, didn't have anything, and then really did well just to kind of stumble forward for a productive gain. And then, of course, it's third down on the three, so it's third and goal on the three. And this is when it obviously happens. He rolls to his left. He hits Elijah Moore. I was standing on the goal line on the other side at the pylon at the time, and in live action, I thought he was short. I thought he re- his momentum took him out of the end zone. And the referee puts him down at the one. And then, of course, Ole Miss doesn't have a timeout. You know, I, to me, they'll never admit it. I think the officials maybe got lost in the chaos of everything, like at, at, of just the clock running down, Ole Miss being frantic. Because Plumley, when he hit Moore, turns around and signals sideline to the touchdown. I think he thought they scored. And then, of course, the clock's just you know melting, and he gets marked down from the on the one by the side judge. It's really just kind of frantic after that. They call it QB sneak. He doesn't get in. Long story short, he was ruled short, and it didn't go to review. Should they have gotten a review? Yes. Did yeah. it look like from some angles on replay that he was in? Yes. Would a review have overturned, provided inconclusive evidence no. to overturn the ruling on the field? I don't know. I'm not ready to say no or yes. I don't know. I don't think he scored. So I, I lean towards no. Like I have not seen anything conclusive that says yes, he was in the end zone. Um, so I, I would say no if that thing goes to review. Now, my argument would be the play should have been reviewed. Because here's, here's the thing. When Ole Miss got lined up to snap the football with four seconds left, it was clear and obvious they were going to get another playoff. The time was not going to run out on Ole Miss. They were going to get a fourth down play. So when Ole Miss lined up with four seconds left, the, the referee up, upstairs should have buzzed down and reviewed it. That being said, it wouldn't have changed it, but Ole Miss go, gets to go to the sideline and, and, and draw up a play instead of running a frantic quarterback sneak, because I don't think that's their play if, if they get to go to review and, and have time to, to draw up a play. And how in the world at that, like, like it's almost like he scored at the perfect spot on the perfect spot in the, or I say scored, caught the ball on the perfect side of the perfect spot of the field to where no one can tell from any angle. How the hell do we not have a goal line view? So there's a pylon view, there's a homemade, not a homemade, there appears to be a <laughs> A video taken by someone that was not obviously a television camera that Football Scoop, the uh, website, their social media account, put out from someone. And even on that, you can't tell. Like, that's the angle everyone was clamoring clamoring for, basically. It's not exactly on the goal line, but I would say he's two steps to the left, like towards the end zone. Yeah. And I'm watching this over and over again right now as we're, as we're recording this and talking, and I can't tell there. I, I, that, this even leads me to believe he might not have gotten in. But, that's right. But he, I, don't I think, think maybe initially when he catches it, he was. I don't know. Look, let me ask this. If this play happens in the third quarter, it gets reviewed, right? They, they go look at this. 
Yeah, <laughs> and if you rule it a touchdown on the field, it has to. It I mean it automatically goes, does it not? Yes, because the clock stops. So one of two things should have happened. They should have ruled it a touchdown. Like to me, it's kind of like the situation where you let the fumble play out. Go rule it a touchdown and then go look at it. Um, but it is what it is. Like if you want to say Ole Miss lost the football game because of referees, I'm just going to have to disagree with you. Uh, Ole Miss was on the verge of a miraculous comeback in a game that, frankly, they were dominated in. Yeah. It's a game that I just I don't know how I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you, but how do you say dominated when they outscored them? I know, excuse me, out outgained them, won the turnover battle. I think had more sacks. Like it's Man, such, it's I mean, such a weird game. With three minutes left. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just kind of pointing out that that's it's it's. I mean, Ole Miss had four sacks, Cal had three, Cal had one turnover, Ole Miss had none, Ole Miss outgained him by 92 yards, Cal had more passing yards, Ole Miss beat him on the ground, Ole Miss had two more penalties. I mean, if you really want to, I mean, here, uh, here's probably the best way to sum it up. Cal's 6-12 on third down, and I believe yeah. they were 4-6 of six on third and nine or longer, and Ole Miss was 5-17 of 17 on third down for the game. That's really what the what it comes down to. That's where... This game is kind of won and lost. Ole Miss couldn't get off the field on third down. But just backtracking for a second, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but it's very weird that Ole Miss won a lot of statistical categories in a game it felt like they didn't really have any business winning. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's certainly weird. But, man, just you're down 15 in the fourth quarter to a team that, look, Cal's a good football team. I don't think they're great. Like, I think they would be certainly middle of the pit pack, below the middle of the plaque in the SEC. I would compare them. I don't know. I probably think Mississippi State's a better football team than them. I was not very impressed with Cal, to be completely honest, no. because you heard all week about their secondary, and they still gave up 348 yards yeah, for the air. And didn't and didn't they didn't record a turnover? I mean, yeah. John Rice Pumley is yet to throw an incompletion in his college career. Yeah. So, so, so I don't okay. know. I mean, gun to your head, just to put this to bed. Did he score? No. I lean no as well. Like I, I know that it's probably going to make some people angry. And it, I, I don't it, necessarily look, look, care, but I like initially thought he did. But there's I, like I got sent, and, and these none of these are perfect angles. These are all most of them are are television screenshots. But there were some very compelling looks at it that I got sent on social media afterwards. Like oh maybe he kind of might have gotten in, and I got sent a couple of videos, and I still don't know. I, I think I lean no though. Yeah, I. Look, and, and if you want to say he did, I can't really disagree with you. Um, but, I mean, my gut feeling is no, that, that, that he was short. Now, I also lean, short. also lean that review wouldn't have overturned it for conclusive evidence. But, again, I, I don't, don't know. It, it gives Ole Miss a play. That's also true. It should have been yeah. stopped for a review. That that There's really probably not much excuse for that not to be stopped for a review. Yeah. Once the Ole Miss got lined up over the football and it was clear that the clock was not going to run out, it should have stopped. Yeah, so um, the Pac-12 came out with a statement today and basically said that they didn't need to review it. Did you see this? Yeah, and then at the end of that video, like there's a video accompanied with it. I, 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 I listened slash watched the video on my drive back up here. They were saying that it went like they they watched it on replay and like decided that they didn't need to stop game for an actual review. I don't know if I buy that. 
Yeah, and then the guy at the end said his opinion was that it probably should have been reviewed because Ole Miss got lined up. Look, I understand not calling down to review if Ole Miss isn't going to get a playoff because then you can review it after the game ends. But it it, it was butchered. I'm not going to sit here and Would Ole Miss have been better off not running a play? I know that's like – I mean, you, 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 I mean you, yeah, there's no way you can think hindsight. that in the moment. No, no, that is, no, that's not a little hindsight. I'm just posing the question. I'm not saying that they should have known that. Of course, that's that's kind of ludicrous to think about that in the moment. But would it have actually maybe helped them a little bit if they hadn't run a play? Um, I mean, I get, I get what you're saying. Man, like, get a yard on the quarterback sneak, too, you know? Like, like, just snap it and get a yard. Yeah, that's true. It wasn't a very good quarterback sneak. But at that point, I don't necessarily blame them for that because at that point, you're just like – like, they, they all they were missing was the bush push. Like, that was completely frantically just kind of done. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it was frantically done. Um, but, I mean, it's it, it kind of a microcosm for their season a little bit. I mean, just craziness abounds and, and somehow or, or, or another, Ole Miss doesn't end up on, with more points than the other team. Yeah, so I, I guess, I guess putting a bow on it, I was surprised to it at a team that was susceptible to the run. You know, missing a couple nose tackles on the defensive line was definitely weaker against run defense than they were passing defense. Ole Miss threw the ball forty-eight times and ran it thirty-eight times. I, I get that they were behind and you get down 15 in the second half, but that's still giving – I mean, Scotty Phillips only had 14 carries. Ely had four. Matt Corral had the, led the team in rushing yards and attempts, and that a lot of it was because on those read options and RPOs, they were just daring Matt, uh, Matt Corral to run. And early on in the game, he was having success with it. Like, it was working quite well. But aside from that, like, giving Jaron Ely one carry in the second half – you know, abandoning the run in the second half as, as violently as they did, I didn't necessarily agree with. Like, I, that doesn't seem like a recipe for success. Yeah, I certainly wasn't a fan of the game plan in the second but, half. I mean, Ely doesn't get to touch football consistently for some unknown reason. Uh, they kind of went away from the passing scheme that they had so much success with in the first half, and maybe Cal took them away. I don't know. I'm not a guru by any stretch of the imagination, but – I don't know. It, it just kind of felt bland in the second half, and it, it put Ole Miss in a position. It kind of felt like Ole Miss put themselves in a position where, like, when you don't go to class for three months, then you go in and try to take the final exam, and you almost pass it, but you wind up failing. It kind of felt like what Ole Miss was doing there at the end. Yeah, and it just—I I, thought—I thought, in my very, I say, uneducated. In my non-expert opinion, as far as schematic stuff goes, I thought Richrod caught a really nice game in the first half, and I'm just not sure. I need to go back and watch the third quarter in particular again. I don't know what it was. Just I don't know if it was more play calling or Matt Corral playing poorly in the third quarter that led to them sputtering so bad for that quarter because that's the quarter that cost them the game. Yeah, absolutely. They lost the game in the third quarter. But why? Uh. The defense was continuously porous against the pass, and that crowd didn't play very well. It doesn't, to me, it wasn't really overly complicated. Yeah, so perhaps I, I think I've hit just about everything I want to hit as far as the game itself. From a macro angle, I don't really know where they go from here as far as one, you're going to get, they're going to get killed this weekend. I mean, you call it yeah. what it is. 
you come back for Vanderbilt. What are you as I as I kind of kept posing the question last week on the podcast leading up to the game, what are you selling the rest of the way? Like what's your message? Because realistically this team is definitely not going to a bowl game. I mean, is your message and, and this is a little bit tough to ask, but is this where you put John Rice Plumley in and just let it roll? Because if if that's that's the only thing you could probably sell at this point, right? Hey, we got a true freshman quarterback. He's playing pretty well. Come watch him play. Yeah, so I guess uh, I guess we'll get right into that now. Just left the Monday press conference. Uh, doing this podcast late was not necessary by design, but schedule and stuff, it didn't turn out to be the worst thing because we got more information. Bruise ribs for Matt Crow day to day. He did some of their workouts and stuff yesterday, but was limited. I mean, I asked. I mean, they it, after a couple times beating around the bush, I asked Matt Luke kind of point blank. If Matt Corral is healthy, is he going to play like start for you on Saturday in Tuscaloosa? And he kind of initially said, yeah, and then said, we'll evaluate all these things. We'll look at both of them, kind of divvy up the reps, and then just kind of see. Said, I don't think we can make that decision at this point. So it was like a, yeah, kind of. I and think they're getting to hide behind the injury. That's exactly bit. what's I, happening here. Yeah, I, I think right now that they won't play John Rice Plumley. I don't think that's really a debate right now. Oh, I think they're conflicted. I don't. Think, I think that's definitely a, a, a up well, up for I debate. I, but I guess my point. I don't think Matt Corral is is one hundred percent going to play every. I think if Matt Corral uh, was one hundred percent healthy, I think there's still a chance John Rice Plumley plays on Saturday. Yeah, sure. So I was I was just about to get to that. So then Matt Luke was asked, and Rich Rodriguez was asked as well. If Matt Corral is healthy, is there a possibility you play both quarterbacks in the game on Saturday? And they both said, yeah, absolutely, that is certainly a possibility. So to your point, I think they are getting to hide behind the injury a little bit. And I don't necessarily mean that as a bad thing or as a cowardly right. thing at all. I think it's kind of smart because it it doesn't do any good to be – right. it really doesn't do any good for them to right now say John Rice Pumley is the quarterback. That might make a pissed-off fan base like a little more happy or a little more interested – Right. But you're damaging a relationship or potentially damaging a relationship with Crowd to where, you know, this time two Decembers ago, Matt Luke's future was tied at the hip with Corral. Like, yeah. it's just as simple as that. Corral's only 19 years old. He's four games into his college career, basically. So, right. is it like making a drastic move and saying he's benched or Plumlee's the starter or vice versa, you don't really gain anything from that right now. Corral's got the rib injury, which is... I think they're fortunate. He's fortunate it is not cracked. Obviously, bruised ribs still very painful. I don't know how much he'll be able to do. I'll venture he'll probably try to give it a go, but you can at least use that to murky the waters and then kind of give an excuse to play two quarterbacks. Because, I mean, when it comes down to it, John Rice Plumley was seven for seven for eighty-two yards. Looked really good doing it. Drove them down the field eighty-eight and eighty-nine yards both times. Of course, comes up a yard short. He's earned the right to get a look. Is my point. Absolutely, I, I, I completely agree with you. But in saying that, like maybe maybe Ole Miss fans do need to take a little bit of a chill. But like it was two drives, and look, the kid played well on those two drives. I mean, he's a true freshman. I don't think you're you're, you're surplanting your quarterback just yet. So I, I think he's going to have to do a little bit more before they feel comfortable handing this over to him. And I think Brown would have to continue to not play as well as they wanted to. 
Yeah, and so it's 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 interesting because there's a lot of stuff at play here. It's the rib thing, it's the injury, it's also performance, and then it's kind of looking at it, and I'm not even necessarily sure, Matt Luke, I don't know how much stock he puts into this, but there's like one where Matt Corral's 19, he's four games into his college career. Are you really going to abandon ship on him already? But at the same time, I mean, look around the stadium on Saturday. There was probably 40,000 people there, 42, 43, being very generous. People weren't interested. There's widespread apathy. And they all got something to yell at and cheer or yell for and cheer for for 10 minutes on Saturday afternoon when the backup quarterback comes in and kind of re energizes the stadium. I mean, I think after the game, Matt Luke said he ignited the sideline and the crowd. So you're doing with an element of that where at some point, like you stick him in there just to keep people interested, or you play him over crowd to keep people interested and keep people engaged. So it's, it, they're in kind of a conundrum there. Part of me would, part of me would argue, like in terms of like long term, like certainty, this coming in and having the success or whatever is is is. I don't want to say not a, like it's not the worst thing to ever happen to him, but it, like it, it it may end up giving them more problems and uncertainty than anything else. Well, and, and it's it's a weird scenario because you're not going to be able to tell anything from this week against Alabama, like unless one just plays over their head. What are you really going to be able to tell when Ole Miss's offensive line is not going to be able to keep the pressure off of them? So I don't think we're really going to get any answers this week. I think the, the Vanderbilt week is going to be the, the week you kind of get answers to this thing. Yeah, because they're going to get killed next week. I don't really know how much you're going to be able to tell because they're going to get mauled up front. It's not going to be good no matter who plays. I just – I mean, but what do you take from this? Like, like what happens if they play both of them, Corral struggles, and then Plumlee comes in and moves the football and scores a time or two? Like, do you just, John Rice Plumlee is your quarterback against Vanderbilt. I don't, I don't really think – Corral gets to play poorly again, and Plumley gets to play well, and, and they continue to stay status quo. That's fine, but if you, you mentioned he not getting to play poorly again, how big of a sample size do you allow him? Like, what's playing poorly? Is it two drives, a quarter and a half? When he's not the I starter be, and it's not his team, quote-unquote, his offense, and he's not, like, getting the benefit of playing drive after drive after drive, like, how long's the leash? Where do you cut it off? Where do you cut, the, mean, cut it off? I, I, I don't know the answer to that question, but I guess what, what my thing would be is, I don't think if, they do either. Well, do I? I? I'm agreeing with you. I don't think they know the answer to that either. Yeah. I, if John Rice Plumley plays well in Tuscaloosa, which, look, I don't anticipate happening because I think they're going to small people up front. He's not going to have time to do anything. Um, then he's probably the quarterback. Uh, but if he doesn't, and I don't anticipate him playing well because, like I said, I don't know how they're going to keep people off of him. Um then we, you know, it's an interesting dynamic going into Vanderbilt, to be sure. Yeah, it really is, and <sighs> and God forbid they lose that Vanderbilt game. Because man, you want to talk about attitude? It, it it'd be real bad at that point. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it'd be any different, man. Like yeah, I, 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 I think look, this you're going to have thirty five thousand people at the Vanderbilt game anyway. It, there were forty two thousand people in those stands. Uh, Saturday, lose the Vanderbilt game and tell me how many is there against New Mexico State. I'm guessing about 25. There's going to be 35 at Vanderbilt. Do what? There's going to be 35 at Vanderbilt anyway. To me, this was like, not to be overly dramatic here, but just trying to gauge where the, it's it's been weird covering this team and this program of late because at the same time you're trying to gauge the incremental steps towards success that Matt Luke is making, whether it's recruiting, hiring people, 
you know, it, it ultimately it's a bottom line business of winning games, but you're also gauging the temperature of a fan base that's rapidly checking out. I would almost argue that this loss to Cal is almost the point of no return. Yeah, I mean, I don't who's coming back? Agree, but if there and is why? Return, it, it doesn't come along with a loss to Vanderbilt. But it, Vanderbilt, in my opinion, I don't necessarily disagree with you. But Vanderbilt, in my opinion, is much like Arkansas. Even if you win that game, that's not moving the needle oh, for anyone. Win, you're not winning anybody back. I do think you've got a chance to lose even more people if you lose that game. I guess what I'm asking then, and that's the case, who are those people left? I mean, some people that love Ole Miss, I guess. Maybe they can be the next football coach. Um, but, man, it's, it's really a tough scenario because I – Look, it's hard for fans, and, and I'm, I'm right there with them. It's hard for fans to look out there, man, and say, okay, they're screwing this up from a coaching perspective. Like, what's there to draw me back in if I'm a fan? Because Matt Luke was atrocious on Saturday. Let's just keep it real. He cost his team by idiotic decisions. I mean, if I'm a fan, I'm sitting there looking like, what's the point at this point? Yeah, I mean, Saturday at, at a certain point, and again, that last – that last couple drives or that ending was just kind of a little bit of a mirage in the sense that it was just kind of, like I said earlier, a short-term diversion about what the real story was. And it was really at a certain point in that third quarter, like, a, I mean, for it was kind of a depressing scene in some senses to where there's no one in the stands, no one's really getting engaged, the game is kind of spiraling away from them. It's just, it felt like a very just barren scene. And. Look, I, I, and I don't want to do this. It, it's too early to do this, and I get the interim athletic director and interim chancellor thing. Is there a point where Ole Miss as an institution has to make a change just because of, like, they're not going to be able to afford not to? And I get who's going to do it, who's going to make the hire, but is there a point where it just becomes more beneficial for Ole Miss to do it? I don't know. I mean, I had this conversation with a couple people over the weekend about this. And it's not only that, but like right now, I don't think the results would be different no matter who is in place. But the problem is I think most of the fan base views the head coach as having a job he doesn't deserve or is not qualified for. So therefore, even though the results, because 2019 was always going to be a struggle. Look at the roster. The better players on the roster are freshmen and sophomore. Look how young the offensive line is. Look how young the entire offense is, whether it's quarterback, receivers, whatever. This was always going to be a struggle for them this year. This is when the NCAA penalties really kind of kicked in, and this is when you kind of start building back up from ground zero. This was always going to be a struggle no matter the coach, but there would be more buy-in if it were a guy they perceived as quote-unquote competent. That's not me calling Matt Luke incompetent. I am telling you how I think most of the fan base that is not showing up to games, that is not engaged, that does not care, views their head coach. Yep, it's completely fair. They they view it as a sham of a coaching search because, frankly, it was. Uh, Ross Bjork had a Power 5 coach hired, and Jeff Bitter decided that he wasn't worthy of his hire. And people just got pissed off. And look, Matt Luke, I've said this before, Matt Luke is a phenomenal human being. You're not going to have anybody speak poorly of his character. And frankly, I think Matt Luke's a very good position coach. But people are just kind of tired of being, you know, rained on, and and, and it's just not a good situation right now. And Ole Miss is up a creek because they don't have a chancellor. They don't have an athletic director. So I don't know what the answer is. I do know that this fan base is apathetic. And and when people, like, 
you would rather them be pissed off than apathetic because it's hard to get apathetic back. Yeah, and it's interesting because I don't know, like I. I like I don't. Both things may be true. I don't know. I still, in my opinion, don't know yet if Matt Luke is a good or bad football coach because there's so many things that go with running a football program and being a good coach. Obviously, I think he has his in-game limitations at times. He's got I don't know, problem. but I just, I just, I don't know if they're go, if you're go, if he has the time to find out. Like in some ways, I think he was tasked with an impossible job that at the same time he's not going to say no to because it's his dream job. It's like if your dream job you knew you were going to get axed at the end of it, no matter what. Yeah. What well, do you do? You still probably take the gig. Absolutely, and I don't. Anybody blaming Matt Luke for taking this job is an idiot. No, no one's um, doing that. I'm just, I, and I'm not even really suggesting that. It's just a really complicated and weird situation. Matt doesn't get the benefit of the doubt when he's as bad as within game situations as he is. Like, I, he might be a phenomenal CEO and manager of the program. But when they do things consistently, like kick field goals down two touchdowns or down three touchdowns, when they don't call a timeout till after 20 seconds and run off the flight clock, I mean, when stuff like that happens, it's hard to give somebody the benefit of the doubt when you already don't want to. Yeah, and so, like, I was talking about a couple over the weekend, and I'm not, like, speculating or looking ahead or anything, but it just seems like if this turns out how it appears to be kind of heading at this point, slowly trickling that way, it's almost like he's going to be looked at as a guy who kind of fell on a sword in a lot of ways. Like, the program didn't bottom out 6-6, six and 5-7, six, and seven, whatever they finished this year in the lean years in which they, they were recovering from the NCAA colonoscopy and then just kind of set the table for whoever the next guy that comes in and if that guy does kind of build it back to prominence, which is a weird and complicated legacy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because um, how do you, what, at what level, like, what does he have to win? Like, I just, I, it's hard for me to see the him winning at a level he needs to win at to have staying power. Yeah. Because um, if, man, if, if three and nine happens this year, let's just play worst case scenario, which frankly I think is on the table. I think Ole Miss could, I do, I it's gone to my head. It is a hundred percent on the table. Yes, Ole Miss beats Vanderbilt if, I, if if there's a gun to my head. Can they lose that game? Absolutely. Three and nine, man. It's going to be. Look, he's either not surviving that, or he's not surviving twenty twenty. In my opinion, because I don't think he's going to be able to make up for a three and nine in twenty twenty. Because at that at, at that point, you probably have a boss too that didn't hire you. Yeah. I, I don't think you, there's enough on the table to survive three and nine in 2020. Because I don't even know if six and six next year would save him with a new ball. Well, that's a complicated question. I think that would it, it would depend on how it looked. Like the the way for him to kind of curry favor and get bought time was to get back to the postseason this year because that would have been a really big building block in what was seen as a very lean year. But again, that's looking bleaker and bleaker. So, I mean, I mean, it's 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 unrealistic at this point. It's very unrealistic. Yes. yes. Um, okay. So let's let's do this. What does a successful last eight games look like for Ole Miss? Oh God. Not not necessarily record, but on the field, what does that look like? Wins over. Vanderbilt, New Mexico State have to be wins. No questions asked. And A and M, Auburn, and. A&M, Auburn, and LSU, you have to play better than you're prognosticated to play, whether you want to go by the Vegas line, whatever. You have to look better than you think you're going to fare. You have to fare better than most people think you're going to fare in at least two or two of those three games. And then you got to – I mean, of course, 
winning the Egg Bowl got him the job. That, that would help his oh, case immensely, but looking good in the Egg Bowl. You just you can't get blown out again is what I'm saying. You could survive a blowout against LSU because they, they – they, I mean, LSU is a juggernaut. They appear to be an offensive juggernaut. We'll get into right. it in a second. They – like, you could survive that, but, like, getting blown out against – a&M, who looks somewhat pedestrian. Auburn, who looks better than I think most people gave them credit for, but still not a world bidder, not an offensive power. And Mississippi State, is a like, that, they, that can't happen. Yeah, no, I'm with you. So, let, let, I think it, if they go 5-7, and seven, I don't think this fan base will quit on that. Anything less than that, I think they've got to figure out a way to win one other game that they're not expected to to, to re-energize this fan base. Anything less than that, I think it's going to be a really, really tough sell for 2020. Well, and, just, and at the same time, there's also too large of a faction that's already checked out on him and not coming back because he right. lost a lot of those people the day he got the job, and that's really no fault of his own. No, it's no fault of his own. It's the fault of Jeff Bitter. So uh, we, we've done 45 minutes on this. I, do you have any other additional? I mean, I think we've kind of beat this in, not beat this into the ground. I, I, I'm, I, I'm out of angles and thoughts. What What... Hit me with it. Whatever else you got. How this is going to go forward? Um, because <laughs> never in my life have I seen a, a university that you know in dire needs of maybe a change and have no athletic director or chancellor. Just crazy how it worked out. Yeah, it's like they, there were multiple stages and layers to this house cleaning transition, whatever you want to call it, from the Hugh Freeze era, the NCA colonoscopy. That cloud dissipated but there's still damage left behind from the storm and it's taken a lot longer to clean up than I think maybe people thought obviously you thought it was going to be a struggle on the field but it's kind of everything else there's still no chancellor there's still no athletic director and you know you've got a football coach that's I mean treading water failed yeah in battle treading water floundering whatever you want to call it I mean he just it's it's one of those things it's one of those things where it's just kind of like they haven't beaten anyone. They're not supposed to beat. There's been no like signature moment other than the 2017 Egg Bowl where it's and kind Kentucky. of like, yeah, in Kentucky, that's fair, but Kentucky wasn't very good. But that still kind of had the interim newness too. So it's yeah. kind of like, it's just it, like he needed to beat someone he's not supposed to beat or kind of have a, like this weekend could have been a moment where you kind of point, okay, right. this is a building moment. You beat a ranked team. On your home field, you're three and one. All is well in terms of disaster averted in the first month, but that didn't happen. Like, there's no signature win. I guess is is there's really no better no better phrase. There's no signature win yet. Here's my thing, and and this will be the last thing I'll say on this today. Matt Luke gets a gets a lot, or there's a lot of talk about the program and its talent level and whatnot. And I get that. The team for Hugh Freeze took over in 2012 was not much more talented than this team, if at all. Um, and he went six and six with it and re-energized the fan base that was largely apathetic. They got a lot of breaks that year, though. They did. They did. But that that seems to me like it can be done, too. Um, See, that's... Frankly, let's talk about, like, have they had any offensive line injuries outside of given maybe, you know, not starting the season like you want to? It seems like everybody's healthy relatively on the offensive line. Sure, but, but I, would, not- I would argue that 2012 offensive line is better than this one. I mean, I, I don't even know if that's debatable, dude. I mean, it was Evan Swindoll, Emmanuel McCray, uh, Jerry Duke was good. <sighs> was it really that much better? Pierce Burton was a good player. I think I mean, it was Pierce better. Burton and Givens are comparable. I think it's better, man. I mean, you're talking 
There's no Michael Howard at left tackle on that team. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see the uh, the uh, pass block grades this week. I didn't, I didn't feel like they got, they're going to grade out very well. Yeah, and so and the last thing I'll say on it is like it's like people didn't think he was a good coach when he got hired and didn't deserve love and all that, and he hasn't done anything to prove otherwise by beating exactly. someone he's not supposed to beat, and that's one of the big things plaguing them right now. Anyway, wrapping that up, um, I, I, I got kind of some phone calls and in, in a couple of texts yesterday as the news of Jevin's needs passing kind of leaked yeah, out. Yeah, that was awful. And I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into like the details of it that I've heard. Just it, it's not my place. Respect, you know, out of respect for his family and privacy, he, he passed away Saturday night, Sunday morning. It sounds like. Just a very, very sad situation. I, I'm sure more information will eventually come out, and until it does, I don't think it's anyone's place to kind of speculate anything yeah, beyond I mean, that. Read, but read between some lines. A, a really, uh, really sad story, and a guy that I think gave a lot of old Miss people a lot of good memories in 08, 09 after they came out of the they came out of the Ed Orgeron era. He was a good guy. It was a it was a bit of a tragic tale from his playing career in that regard too, because. You know, he's a projected first-round pick after the 08 season, has a bad 09 season, caught a ton of flack from the fan base, a lot of people, and then went professional for a number of reasons. Just I mean, We went pro a year before. He probably could have used another year in school and just never. It was just kind of always what could have been after that. Yeah, yeah, uh, that one's really hit me hard. Um, Jevin had some issues. I mean, yeah. People forget, like, the letter that he wrote after the Alabama game in 2009 asking fans to kind of lay off of him a little bit. Um, it, man, he, he was – when Jevin was right, man, he was so fun to watch. Uh, the, I'll never forget the, the two-game – well, three-game stretch of at LSU and then home at, and during the Egg Bowl and then uh, against Texas Tech. That, that was the best three games, frankly, I think of an Ole Miss quarterback who's played in a long time. Um uh, just, he was phenomenal during that 2008 season. and He got beat up in 2009 because they couldn't protect him without Michael Orr there. It, 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 and kind of just went downhill from there. So, I mean, it, it, it's tough to think about. He's probably a top five pick after the 2008 season and then never makes an NFL roster. So, uh, yeah, thoughts and prayers out to his family. That, that's a tough situation. And uh, like you said, don't want to speculate on anything, but – that one, that one kind of took my breath away Sunday morning when I found out. Yeah, people started sharing videos and certain different thi- different things to pay tribute to him. And I, I, I saw that video of the three throws against LSU, and I watched that a couple times last night just because I'd kind of forgotten. I mean, I was a younger kid at that point, so I'd kind of forgotten. I mean, I knew he was a good player. I just kind of forgotten the arm talent, and you know, he he wows Gary Danielson, which you could argue, you know. I don't know how much that takes, but I mean, he picked on Patrick Peterson what three plays in a row? Yeah. Oh, I mean, just three incredible throws in a row, and it's just like, damn this this kid had kid had some game, and just I don't want to speculate. I'm not going to try to speculate, but just the 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 mental health crisis in this country and it's, and, and it's all sad. of that. It's just yeah, just I mean, people are. I think they're more aware than ever and and doing their best to destigmatize it. If if I guess that's the right phrase, but just. I don't know. If you're struggling, talk to somebody. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, if, if your arm, if, if you break your leg, man, you go to the doctor and get seen. If, if your brain's not working right, and I know, look, I get the stigmatism around it. I, I get everything. And if you need help, go get it. it nobody's going to think you're weak in, in 2019. 
if uh, if you're struggling with something, talk to somebody. It's, it's becoming dire. And, it, and frankly, I think it's becoming epidemic in this country with younger people when it really doesn't have to be. And that Ole Miss 2008 season was an interesting one because they obviously weren't expected to be very good. You didn't really know what you had in Sneed. And the beginning of the year didn't start off that great. No. Like they lost the game at Florida State, I mean at Wake Forest, excuse me. Right. And it was just kind of like, okay, these guys are okay. And then they go to the swamp that day and, you know, Tebow cries and all that. And the team just kind of took flight after that. What's interesting to me is didn't they lose their next two games after – I know they lost at home to Vanderbilt after they beat Florida. I can't remember what happened. No, no, so it, so I, I just pulled it up. So they, they, they beat Memphis. They lose at Wake Forest. They beat Sanford. They lost at home 23-17 to Vanderbilt, then go beat Florida 31-30. They and then they South Carolina. Yeah, and then they lost at Alabama, and then, of course, they win six games in a row the end of the year, including the Cotton Bowl. They just really kind of took off after that loss at Alabama. where They were in that game in Bryant-Denny, and Alabama was number two. They weren't just in that game. With a minute left, Shea Hodge was streaking down the sideline, and and Snead missed him. He goes in. They win that football game 24-23, to and it's a race for the West at that point. Um, that, That team was maybe like everybody talks about the 2015 Ole Miss team. That 2018, at the end of the season, they didn't want, nobody wanted to see those two. Yeah, that was one of the hotter teams in the country that year because they beat Texas Tech pretty handily, and that was a one-loss Texas Tech team that was a loss to, I can't remember, it was Texas Oklahoma. or Oklahoma away from getting to the BCS title game. Like that was, a, that was Mike Leach's best team there. That was the Crabtree catch year where that was probably yeah. the most like crazy moment in Lubbock's history. Like I'm surprised the city's still standing after that. So... Yeah, really sad story. I really hate to hear that news. I I, I knew some people around him and, and, and loosely kind of knew of his family and all of that and just, just sad story, thoughts and prayers to his family and, and all yeah, that. I can't imagine going through that. one of the first players I remember growing up as an Ole Miss fan. Like where, look, obviously Eli Manning was very good at Ole Miss. I was like nine years old when Eli played. So all of that doesn't you know recollect with me. Jevin's the first player that I ever remember playing quarterback at Ole Miss and having success, like uh, in my fandom. So, or, or when I, you know, after I became a fan, so it it, it, it was tough to hear that. I, and, and you had kind of known that, that Jevin wasn't exactly doing well, um, and it's just tough to hear that. I, I went and watched a bunch of highlights of them on uh, YouTube last night, just kind of reminisce. Man, the kid was a player. Yeah, he was. He was a he was a hell of a quarterback, and I, I think just his it, it's a, it, you always hate to see. I mean, everything else aside from a football perspective, you just kind of always hate to see anyone's career end up in a place where you're well, talking right. about what could have been instead of what happened, and that's I think kind of where his career got to. So I kept up with our picks this week. Not you, great. You know how you did? Not great. Uh, let me pull it up. Let's see. You, you, you don't think you did great? I got a feeling I did not do well. All right, you went you went ten and thirteen overall. You went uh, four and five in, in college and six and eight in the, in the NFL. Nah. I went four and five in college and eight and six in the NFL. So, so you got me on Sunday. Do it well. Kind of had both losing records on both days. I thought you went eight and six. Oh, I thought you said you. Yeah, I went eight and six barely. But we had the uh, same record had after the, Saturday. I had the Texans 
I had the Texans and you had the uh, Chargers, and I had the Giants and you had the Bucks. Yeah, and the Bucks really screwed the pooch there at the end. <laughs> <laughs> like, they really, they really, they really screwed that up. <laughs> they, they were doing. They were up like twenty-eight to ten. Daniel Jones was like, "Nah, I had enough of this." Yeah, no, I didn't watch any football yesterday because I was at that golf tournament, and then I was just checking the scores because I was interested in fantasy and all that, and like. I look at the end of the game and the Giants won. I was like, "Wait a minute, what happened?" It was twenty-eight to ten. I was like, "What are you?" I, well, you know the the Bucks missed like a thirty-yard field goal, lose the game. Of course they did. If only they had what's his face back, Aguayo. Aguayo, yeah, yeah, he'd fix it. He missed two extra points and a field goal. I don't feel like he's gonna have a job much longer. Ah. Oh. Anyway, it, any thoughts around college football this weekend? It wasn't an overly oh, impact weekend. I, yeah, I'll give I it. Got one. God speed to Georgia or Alabama when they walk into uh, Auburn this year because one of them getting their ass kicked. I've been shouting this into the abyss. I said this on the radio show yesterday. My two biggest, the two biggest things I've stumped for this year in going in the season is one, Joe Burrow's good, and two, Auburn's going to be better than people think. Oh, Nick can play, dude. That kid sucks. Gus always, logic aside, I had some logical points as to why I thought they would be okay, but logic aside, Gus always does this. He is dead in the water. He has his bags back. They've packed it for him. They're going to kick him out. They're going to boot him, kick him to the curb, and then he does this, and he's beating A&M on the road and beating Oregon. He has two better wins than anyone in college football this year. Oh, God, I need Gus to go 11-1 and one and win the SEC West and go to Atlanta. They might again. go 10-2. and two. They're, I think they're picking off Georgia or Alabama, one of the two. I think it's happening. Yeah, I do, too, because they're both in uh, – what's the name of their stadium? I can't remember. Jordan Hare. Jordan Hare. Yeah, they're both in Jordan Hare, and got, good luck. I know, and I got laughed off the radio show on Friday for saying that exact thing. I said they're going to go beat A and M on the like straight outright this weekend, and I said it's far from inconceivable to see Alabama or Georgia slipping up at the end because Auburn gets them both at home. And Richard looked like me, like I had an arm growing out of my ass. Like, they, they, and people are going to say, "Look, Auburn goes to the swamp here in two weeks," and people are going to say, "Oh, they can lose that football." No, they're not losing in the swamp. They're going to beat Florida twenty-one to ten. And they're going to be seven and zero rolling into battle. That defense is legit, man. Yeah. And Bo Nix is good enough. They run the ball well. Booby Whitlow's good. The offensive line appears to be better. They're a solid team. They. It's one of those things where, like, you're probably not winning a national title or making the playoff per se with Nix as he is right now. But he's good enough for them to be really good. Yeah. He's going ten and two or nine and three or eleven and one, and Georgia or Alabama is going to have a problem here in here in November. Because one of those, look, I think they win one, but I'm telling you, I think both of those games are close. I, I agree with you there, too. And then another thought I had, I'm not a morals victories guy, but like a little hat tip to Notre Dame for a lot of the grief that they took about not competing against good teams. I thought that was a little overplayed because Clemson killed everyone last year, including killing Alabama worse than they killed yeah. Notre Dame. Look, Georgia didn't cool play boy. very well, but Notre Dame held their own in a hell of an environment and had a chance to win the game. They did, they did. But Georgia kicked the tail up front, too. Like, like on the line of scrimmage, Georgia kind of dominated them. They did, but Notre Dame's defense held their own okay. The offense was okay enough in spurts. Like, I, I, I left that game being more... I don't want to say like impressed, but I was like, okay, Notre Dame, like, they're, they're, a, they're, they're a good football team. I stand by my theory that uh, you can't win anything of importance with Jake Fromm as your quarterback. I don't know, man. They've been close to... 
it twice. I mean, they national. I don't. Think, I don't think he's good enough to win it, man. I, the, the kid doesn't throw the ball down the field enough. Yeah, but I mean, hell, they're a crazy overtime away from having a ring already. Yeah, but <laughs> they didn't. And I, I mean, and that was his freshman. There's tape out on him. I don't think he's good enough to beat Alabama or Clemson. I think he's limited, but I guess if you get as close as they did to get one, I think it's proof that you can do it. Because, like, that overtime wasn't lost because of him. That overtime was lost just – I I don't know. That that was such a crazy overtime. It went from, like, holy hell, Georgia's going to win this game to, oop, that's over. Because <laughs> they get the sack and get them out of field goal range, and then two, it just throws a strike. Yeah, and people forget that Blankenship kid had to nail, like, almost a 50-yarder to even get the three points on the board first. Yeah. Yeah, and Papanasis missed the kick to win the national title. I guess Ole Miss never gets out of your system. And I'm trying to think anything else college football-wise. Not um, LSU's real good. Yeah, they can throw the ball. That's a juggernaut of an offense, man. It just is what it is. I mean, They just kept scoring on Vandy. Just kept scoring. Just kept well. It was like, damn, that's enough. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're good. I, golly, just as a... From a viewer's perspective, I wish that game against Alabama this year were in Baton Rouge because, man, what a scene that would be. Wait, uh, did, did you see uh, Shea Patterson's brother get on get on Instagram? No, but we can go there oh, for a second. God. Michigan sucks. Shea Patterson's not that good in Harbaugh. I did, he's yeah. an interesting case to me because he hasn't forgotten how to coach football, but his offense is outdated – his offense is outdated. I think he's probably a better pro coach than he is a college coach. But also, I, what, so what point is it the school? At what point is it a little bit of a Michigan problem? Yeah, I mean, is it kind of like a Tennessee deal where you are used to be good and now you're not and you kind of still think you are? I don't know who I – yeah, no, that's exact, you're exactly right. But I don't know who I, I attribute this to because I'm stealing someone else's point. But, like – I mean, Hoke won at San Diego State. Harbaugh won at San Diego and Stanford. Like, Rich Rodriguez is no slouch. Like, at what point is it a Michigan problem? Yeah, that's certainly fair. Uh, well, you know, they don't pay recruits there, so that hurts them. That's true. It's hard for them to keep up keep up with the cheaters of the SEC. And I, I'm saying that. I say that as, not that last part, obviously joking, making fun of Harbaugh. I say that first part is, Harbaugh's not absolved from blame here. No, absolutely not. I just think it's more nuanced than people think. I mean, come on. He can't beat Michigan State or Ohio State. Like, at some point, you know, that's his fault. Because uh, he's more talented than Michigan State, and he's got just as much talent as Ohio State and can't put it together. So, Shay Patterson's brother, not his father, was the one lighting up social media. Yeah, yeah. You didn't see that? Were there any misspelled words? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you want me to just read the uh, the Instagram caption? Because it was something else, man. Have at it, man. You can do whatever you want on this podcast. There are no rules. All right. Look, look, look. Let me. I got to find it. Somebody tweeted it. Here we go. Uh, it's got some F words. So he, he tweets out, or he puts on Instagram a picture of the offensive coordinator at Michigan. All right. And this is what he says. He says, what a joke. You let this guy call plays at Jay Gaddis 2-2. He's talking about the offensive coordinator. That's his Instagram handle. It said, and he's never done it before. What a joke. He's hot garbage, absolutely terrible. And you continue to just let Harbaugh run Michigan as the head coach because he played there and he was so absolutely average as a player. It's unbelievable and ridiculous. You pay this M effort $10 million to be absolute average. It's highway robbery. He's hot effing garbage. 
regardless of who's at quarterback and who you want to keep the heat on the starting quarterback, that's fine. When it appears that the defense is absolutely effing giving it up, make this spend what you want. My bro is a baller and will be a G in the NFL, and I can't effing wait. That's no way to treat someone that brought your brother IHOP. <laughs> the, the good brand of IHOP, too, in Oxford. It basically, it's just the most on-brand thing ever. It's everybody's fault except for Shays. Yes, yes, correct. He's going to be a G in the NFL, though. Maybe maybe a guard. He's probably going to have to add some weight if he's going to play guard. I was about to ask what this Gen X lingo is. What's a G mean? I, I think it means he's going to be a baller, but I'm hoping he means guard because that boy ain't playing quarterback in the National Football League. No, I'm not I'm not saying – look, I, believe there me here. There is a small – small part of me that feels bad for Shea Patterson. Well, okay, so that, I guess that's kind of, I don't feel bad, I don't necessarily feel bad for him or anyone involved in Michigan or really anyone at all, just because I don't really care, but I'm not taking up or giving credence to what that bizarre Instagram post said, but it was a weird marriage in the beginning anyway. Harbaugh's offense appears outdated, like that doesn't appear to be a great fit for Shea, but I also don't think Shea's a game-changing quarterback like he was thought to be coming out of high school, because you kind of saw it at Ole Miss as well, like he's been in two drastically different systems and neither one of them has worked that great, so I think two things can be true here. Yeah, sure, but it's not a great fit, and Shea's not a great quarterback, like like you said, both are true. It was a weird marriage from the start. Yeah, I mean, he grew up a Michigan fan, I guess. And, I mean, he was at Ole Miss for two years, and because he was there two years, that means he had to leave because the kid can't stay anywhere longer than a year and a half. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I, I mean, I'm kind of just ready for Shea Patterson to be done. Like, we we, we lived this long enough. The, the kid is what he is. His dad, you know, he's J.D. McCoy, and his dad's, you know, Jetty McCord's dad. So that's um, a pretty good comp for you, Friday Night Lights yeah, I fans. Can't, I can't take credit for that one. Ben made that one and put it on Twitter, but it is exactly what the situation is. Uh, good for Chip Kelly. That was wild. Yeah. Okay. I have never seen that in my. Did you watch that game? I did. I watched every bit of it from the second okay. half on. That kid at quarterback has been absolutely atrocious for a year and a, and a quarter. And just somehow the second half of Washington State, he figures out how to be a monster. Look, I, I, I watched this and I had a lot of thoughts because I couldn't sleep. And I was it was very entertaining television for it being 1 o'clock in the morning and not being able to sleep. And for as much, I think, again, it's, it's, it's a product of multiple things being true. I think Chip Kelly's having a bit more of an uphill battle because what he's doing right now, the tempo thing, the substitution rule advantage, is no longer new. People know how to deal with it. They see it every week. At the same time, have you checked out that roster, man? They're the youngest team in the country by far and away, and it's astonishing. They said they pulled out some stat the other night. 86 or something of the 110 players on their roster are freshmen or sophomores. That's insane. 86. You get 85 yep. scholarships. Yeah, yeah. Yep. 86. I mean, they're, they're bad young. But and, the, the quarterback was what amazed me. And then he, he just got a, in his zone. He was a monster on Saturday. And that kid has sucked for I, a year and a quarter. Yeah, and isn't he a freshman as well? No, he's a sophomore. Okay. He, played, he, start, he was their starter last year. Look, if there's ever a moment where you kind of build, as far as you're building a program and kind of a springboard moment, 
I mean, both for that kid and UCLA. I'm not saying that UCLA's like this is it and they're like they're back and all that cliched stuff that you see on first take. But like just having some tangible success and then like kind of doing that on the road, it's kind of like maybe he finally clicked and he gets it. Maybe so. I hope so for the kid because he's been terrible. Yeah, and that uh, has to be demoralizing the way those first three weeks went. Like you, oh, yeah. Chip Kelly showed more personality in that post game interview than I've ever seen him show. Like he came off as somewhat likable. Like, did you see what they asked him after the thing? And he goes, "Yeah, that was a Pac-12 After Dark special." <laughs> and I'm like, if you're Leach, how do you lose that football game? I have no clue. Like, and I love Mike Leach, but how did that happen? Like, it was forty nine to seventeen. They were up 30 in the second half. They, UCLA scored 28 points in like five minutes of game time. Yeah. I've never I seen anything over. like that. I flipped to Colorado State and Toledo because I thought the game was over. And I look up and I said, damn, the game, I, I literally, I turned over and was like, oh, I guess I can check the score. And it was UCLA 60, Washington State 56, and I had no clue what had happened. I know, and then like they they got down and they have a chance to go for the lead after they lost it with like two minutes left. The kid they go for it on fourth down because they obviously have zero faith in the kicker. Don't yeah, get it, and you're like, tough. damn, they're going to fall up short. And then they get another chance at it. <laughs> what a game! Any, that was nuts. I didn't watch any I, NFL, so I don't have much thoughts on that. Uh, um, yeah, n- I mean nothing really. I mean the Rams were really good. Now, the Rams, here's what's scary. The Rams aren't playing well on offense, and they're still really good. Yep, and that was atrocious play calling from Freddie Kitchens at the end of that game that, last that, night. You've got to run the football there and run the clock down and then try to try to do something. Um, that being said, quarterback in Cleveland's not playing real well right now. No, and he's not getting the benefit of he's a quarterback in his second year because they have so much talent on that roster. It's like the rest of the team is ready to launch and, like, you forget you got a second-year quarterback who's undersized yeah, and, and not that great in the made pocket. Out to be a lot better than I think he was. I think he's fine. I don't think he's you know the next big thing. The he, dude in Cleveland's a monster. Not in Cleveland. The dude in Houston's a monster, man. Yes, Deshaun Watson is a monster. The Chargers are one and two. Uh, they're not good. Yeah, I think the Gordon thing's hurting them. They had no business losing that game to Detroit last week. Kind of a weird start there. Detroit is 2-0-1. Yes, they are. That was a big win. Look, Philadelphia's hurt. Went played like crap. Uh, But that was still an impressive win. My three biggest stumps of the last three months, not to brag, are doing pretty well. Joe Burrow good, Auburn better than people think, and the Lions not as bad as people think. That is the three things I've been shouting, basically. I know. uh, I'm not counting any of the stuff I'm wrong on, but... (laughs) I've only had one, and it's Deshaun Watson is better than Baker Mayfield. I don't even think that's close. Yeah, yeah. Well, some people do. I, I oh, I'd like to meet them. I, I didn't know. That, I didn't know this was a debate. Like, not oh, to man, discredit the, your point. Like, to me, that's yeah. that, that's night and day. Like that, I don't. That's a debate. I guess is what I'm asking. <laughs> yes, people have debated whether they would take Deshaun Watson or Baker Mayfield to start their franchise, and I'm just like, what? Are you people crazy? Okay. I, I, I can't really help you there. I mean, I'm not a genius by any stretch of the imagination, but the dude that only throws touchdowns and doesn't really turn it over, I, I kind of like him a little bit more. Yeah, the Bills are 3-0. and and Josh Allen, not terrible. No, he's not bad. He does some things. He does some really special things, though. Obviously, got a lot of work to go. But, like, I mean, he's learning while they're winning. And you've seen it with whether it's Dak Prescott or it's Russell Wilson or anything else. 
when you have a young quarterback that's developing and he's doing it without having to get his brains beat in and lose, it kind of breeds a certain air of confidence and leadership that's like easily easier to acquire than if you're on a bad team. Like did they're you, having uh, some real did success. You see Dawson Knox troll Phil Longo. I did. I did. Wait, no, no. Like are you talking about by his play or what he said? No, what he tweeted. What? Oh God. He he, you know, so he scored his first touchdown yesterday, right? Yeah. He, he tweeted, oh, so that's what a touchdown feels like. Did he never score a touchdown at Ole Miss? He never scored a oh, touchdown. Oh, my God. I knew it was bad. I actually didn't even know that. Oh, wow. <laughs> so his first touchdown since high school came in week three of the NFL? Correct. Good for the kid. He seems oh, like yeah, a good dude. Football. DK had a good day yesterday, too. Uh, team didn't. Yeah, he, uh, Seattle I don't think is that good. I think they were fortunate to beat Cincinnati week one at home. I think they caught a, you know, they caught the Steelers mid-falling apart. Credit to the Steelers yesterday. They played admirably. I think San Francisco's good. Yeah, and Mike Tomlin's going to get fired, but they're still playing hard. That division's going to be sneaky incredible. Isn't Sa- it? San- Baltimore just going to run away with it? No, 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 no. Other side, other side. San Francisco, uh, yeah. L.A., and Seattle. See, I don't think Seattle's very good, and I, I do think L.A.'s better than San Francisco. I don't think it's as close as people think, and you talk about the McVay thing. Kyle Shanahan... Made Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan. Oh, Kyle Shanahan's an excellent football coach. And Jimmy G, capable quarterback. They probably don't have the offensive talent to really compete throughout the entire year. Like I'm talking about receiver. Running back's okay. Breida's okay to really compete yeah. with the Rams right now. But they're they're on their way up. Oh, they're going to make the playoffs as a five or a six seed in my opinion. Yeah, I think they're a wild card team. I think Buffalo could screw around in the AFC and maybe. Oh, get I've one. got Buffalo in the playoffs too. Yeah, it so, doesn't matter. The Pats and the Chiefs are playing for the AFC again, but you know it'll be fun. Yeah, yeah, and I guess Watson could give one of them a problem in, in a divisional game. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. You can't really ever count out Watson and the Texans because that kid, bad offensive line and all, is 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 something else. And it should help getting Tunsil when he gets more acclimated. I mean, they he got beat up in that Saints game, but I mean, your left tackle had been wearing that team's jersey for like two days, so <laughs> a, little, a little tough there. That's about all the NFL thoughts I had. I went to that golf tournament yesterday. My guy Sung Jay fell up one shot short. Pretty cool. How about Braden shoot? Braden missed the cut. He got a little. He didn't play very well. He, he shot two under seventy on Thursday, which was good. He didn't play very well on Friday, but he got a little screwed by the weather to where he was one of the late afternoon tee times after the Thursday rain delay. And so on Friday he teed off. His tee time got pushed back to like four o'clock. So he got through twelve holes, then had to come back and finish Saturday. Missed the cut. Um, fun tournament. That was the first playoff that they've had on the PGA Tour in quite a while. For whatever whatever reason, it's just kind of streaky there. But cool event. That event keeps growing. I and, and uh, that was entertaining to me. Had some fun. Saw some people. Got some good feedback on the podcast. Thank you to everyone out there listening. I love it when people like bring up Mailback Friday or why am I lying to you about an intro? I get asked that a decent bit. <laughs> so um, intros coming. Intros coming tomorrow. I'm just gonna keep saying that until you know maybe we get one one day. So that's about all I got for today. We've been here about an hour and 15 minutes. Late podcast. Sorry about getting up. We had just had a little bit of a scheduling conflict. I think it worked out okay from a big picture standpoint in the quarterback thing. You got anything else? No, no. That's about it. Cool. We'll be back at it on Wednesday. I'm sure I'll get someone on from Alabama to analyze this battle for first place in the SEC West. That's a good point. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tiebreaker's up for debate. It is. Uh, SEC West Supremacy is on the line this weekend in the showdown in Tuscaloosa. Um, Uncle Vern will be there. Not really, but uh, it is the CBS game, technically. Hey, the last time Ole Miss rolled into Tuscaloosa, want to know that you know what happened. It's a good point. It's a good point. So... We'll see. Um, we'll be back out on a Wednesday. Uh, like or rate and review the podcast. Subscribe. I really appreciate all the feedback from people when I see you out, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, continue to complain about an intro. It's, whatever else you want to do, I appreciate the feedback. But for Brian or for Colin Brister, I am Brian Scott Rippey. We'll be back on Wednesday. A Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.